Welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast from Lee Enterprises. I'm Terry Lipschett, senior producer at Lee and your host for this episode. In October, billionaire business magnate and investor Elon Musk completed his purchase of the social media platform Twitter. Since that time, a variety of moves to cut costs as well as try and generate more revenue for the platform have led some to wonder whether Musk's acquisition was the beginning of the end for the popular microblogging site. While Twitter has many critics, our guest today is raising concerns over a world without Twitter, as the platform has proven to be an important source of real-time information, as well as geotag data. I'd like to introduce Dr. Anjana Susarla, Professor of Information Systems at Michigan State University. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You recently wrote an article for The Conversation, What the World Would Lose with the Demise of Twitter, Valuable Eyewitness Accounts and Raw Data on Human Behavior, as well as a Habitat for Trolls. Can you talk a little bit about that article and um, how that came about? Yeah, so Twitter has been something closest that we have to a global public square uh, because it's microblogging service and 280 character limit and it's the conversations on Twitter it's easy to sort of have a thread and uh, in real time and then people can respond or the features of uh, tweets also the discoverability of content when something becomes trending enough people can see it outside your own immediate network so because of that I think Conversations on Twitter have a kind of virality. And so Twitter has been um, a place for a lot of public personalities, whether it's journalists or celebrities, to connect with their audiences. And Twitter has also been, because it's so connected with real-time events, it's provided us uh, um, for researchers, people who study a variety of things. They can be cybersecurity experts. They can be experts who study things like human trafficking, or they can be weather researchers who are following things like uh, wildfires or climate change. If there's any major incident, we can go to Twitter, we can collect all these real-time tweets, hashtag with a certain event or hashtags, uh, different events. And it's given us this kind of very valuable repository of um, human behavior almost, real-time human behavior. I know a lot of criticism of Twitter is that it's become a place where trolls go to live, Um, obviously a lot of uh, misinformation, but um, in your experience, how how much of, of Twitter is that and how much of it is just kind of like the reporting and, and communications on a daily basis? I think it's hard to put a number because Elon Musk initially last year when he put a bid for Twitter, he said something about number of bots and so forth. It's hard to quantify saying 5% of Twitter traffic is bot. There are quite a few bots, obviously. We know that now. Um, but the, the main thing I, I would say is, yes, of course, anything that is such an open place where there's so much open communication, there will be misinformation, there will be trolls. But nonetheless, it's also been, I think, pretty much the only platform that has this sort of openness. Um, you know, their Facebook doesn't have the same level of 
real-time interactivity. It's not designed for real-time conversations. And then we have all these video services like TikTok and Insta platforms that are meant for engaging. But again, it's not that back and forth that you can have this conversation or that we can actually engage in sort of connecting with other people, like-minded individuals or people with different opinions, maybe. So I think that's the that's the unique, has been the unique thing about Twitter. And I think that some of those things still, we still see that, um, you know, during the World Cup soccer, we still see a lot of real-time conversations, trending things, breaking on Twitter. So that's uh, that's what the point I was trying to make. I have a Twitter account. I have a couple of handles. I don't post regularly, but I find myself using it during the course of the year. I'm a baseball fan. Mm -hmm. So during the off season, I find myself sitting on Twitter a lot, looking to see what kind of transactions might be happening as teams try to sign players mm -hmm. or during the season um, as teams are looking to maybe move players before a trade deadline. I find myself engaging with Twitter a lot more, um, not necessarily tweeting anything but but just kind of following along do you see a lot of that kind of use as well just as as like in real time keeping up with what the events at the moment are what whether it's sports or news or politics yes i think and that's what i said because there's so much of real the the platform is really designed for very real-time conversations in the moment short snippets of information so it's it's almost like a way you can monitor public discourse very you can, you know, identify things before they've the news report. It's reported on the news or something to add to maybe official news services. Um, and I think that's what I tried to say in the in that article I've written that this really sort of a Twitter uh, sentiment at the we can even um, drill down to like specific neighborhoods. It's actually a very good proxy to understand how people are thinking or feeling in that area. And so Twitter, the unique thing is you can have geotagging of tweets. Not everything is geotagged, but we can extract some of those conversations that gives us a great way to measure sort of public attitudes and in the moment how people are thinking about something. So especially when there's some big events like a presidential inauguration or the World Cup or some baseball game, that's a great place to see what people are saying. I, I saw in your article, you referenced uh, a public health study, actually, that that, that conversations uh, related to HIV and AIDS mm -hmm. led researchers to find um, some correlation. What, what, what was learned in a study like that? What would we learn? I think it's just uh, the the good thing for researchers is it gives us a different way to measure public attitudes. You, if we try to survey people about attitudes towards you know HIV or any kind of difficult to measure attitudes, it's not easy to you'll just send a survey. How many people will you reach? What is the bias and sampling and so forth? But if you're trying to measure some things from Twitter, it's one very good way to assess aggregate level what people are thinking about, you know, in a particular region. And that's very interesting because people may say different things, but on consistent basis, what they are saying in some sort of public forum 
it's a good way to measure attitudes or even willingness to pay for like things like uh, climate change policies and things like that. that. That's an interesting point. So what you're saying is, you know, let's say I'm a polling mm-hmm. uh, company reaching out to somebody before the election to kind of get your feeling, are you going to vote for a Democrat or Republican or this candidate or that? Somebody mm-hmm. who knows your calling specifically about that might change their answer, might answer differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're just tweeting about something randomly, like you know, I might be supporting mm-hmm. this candidate or I have these kinds of views, it almost gives an unfiltered opinion of of something. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes it's also, um, they may not directly say anything about a particular candidate, but we can look at correlations to other things that person has written or said and we can infer like I said it's just a a very good tool for researchers for pollsters for public policy experts uh, for people to just you know um, to get a sense of overall attitudes um, overall sort of behavioral changes as well so there's this question of how much hesitancy people have towards vaccines so measuring things on Twitter, measuring tweets will give us some sort of a good uh, idea. You can correlate tweets and zip codes, and that's to sort of tells us where there's more vaccine hesitancy, where's the, where there is less vaccine hesitancy and things like that. That's an interesting use. How accurate is the geo data that's coming out of this? Because obviously you can, is this something that you as a end user would turn on to your uh, your Twitter profile or is it just picking it up off of your phone data? I think that sometimes it's happening because people have not been sensitive to what they're disclosing when they're tweeting. And so um, that's something I would be worried about personally in terms of giving away my identity. But, you know, also the th- thing is that many times people might post uh, pictures on Twitter and there's geotagging from the picture as well depending on where it was, because our phones do identify all those. And again, one more thing is, yes, um, depending on which app you're using to post to Twitter, that may be one more place where there is geotagging of tweets. And we may not realize that. Because this is actually a security concern. During, uh, I think, the Winter Olympics that happened in Sochi in Russia, it was actually, uh, some researchers pointed out that athletes, they are posting some tweets about where they are. But because of the geotag nature of some of these tweets, it's very sensitive personal information they're giving out and that can make them vulnerable to what if somebody wants to engage in some harm? Yeah, that's an interesting side effect to that. As somebody that researches and looks at information technology, how real is the potential that Twitter might go away? Is this something that's talked in your community that that, that this is a real concern or is this kind of a, you know, it's a new owner who's putting in a lot of changes and it's just going to blow over in six months and we'll kind of go back to how things were. The two things that we've seen is that one, Twitter is having problem paying its bills. So their reports that they are even behind with their rent payments in San Francisco. And the other thing that we've seen is that a lot of advertisers have left Twitter. Twitter is even saying you can advertise for free and things like that. So 
there is clearly some trouble with making money so far. So that's the cause for concern. Again, I think the user experience on Twitter per has not changed that drastically. It's definitely different. But the question is, will this has this driven away advertisers? It definitely has. Will they come back? That's always a challenge. In social media, once the advertisers have gone, it's very difficult to come for them to come back. They'll find a different platform. They've you know, we've seen the uh, friendsters of the world. And once people leave, the advertising dollars leave, then it's a tricky situation. Like I know Facebook has kind of come under scrutiny and and over time and and other platforms as well. So even even if Twitter does survive, mm-hmm. there is that potential that users may just go elsewhere and that valuable data that you're able to gain might be gone. Yes, I think that's that's the nature of these all these social media platforms. And as you mentioned, Facebook itself has that problem that they are leading advertisers. I, I know we talked a little bit about this at the top of the conversation, but do you see any viable alternatives to Twitter right now? I, I know Mastodon has gotten mentioned a lot. Uh, I've seen Discord and Tumblr and Reddit get mentioned. Obviously, there's the visual platforms like TikTok and Instagram, but are, are there any, in the moment, any viable alternatives? I think Mastodon has been good for specific, like smaller communities. There are people in research who used to use Twitter to connect with academic colleagues. Now, some of those conversations have migrated. But you have the same challenge, which is that it's not, it's a place where one can connect with people who are like you. But if you just want to get a sense of trends, like what's happening with this baseball game, or if you're following soccer, there's a big upset in the World Cup. Um, you know, some big team like Germany lost to some relatively less known team. Those are conversations that are still more fun or more engaging on Twitter. On Twitter, it's Mastodon and other platforms still don't provide the same. Because the question also is the younger participants on social media platforms are not very interested even in Twitter. They've all gone to TikTok and platforms like that. So, yeah, and that's that always seems to be the thing. You know, Facebook started out as mm-hmm. as a college college students on it, and then it seemed like as as soon as their parents discovered it, then <laughs> they moved on. Yes. Um, so that that certainly is the potential too with Twitter, regardless of what happens with Elon Musk. That's right. I mean, I think that there's, by definition, most of social media platforms, it is hard to maintain that relevance for too long. And it doesn't matter who's the owner, probably. And Elon Musk, anyway, has enough issues to probably worry about right now, because Tesla has also had a huge drop in stock price. And sure, the, they've not, the sales forecasts have been considerably down, downgraded compared to maybe this time last year. You mentioned uh, in in your article also that Twitter ads, I I know we talk about how it can drive polarizing nature and conversations, but it could also work as a good way to verify and fact check information too. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And and I guess, is there any concern from your end too, because Elon Musk has looked to monetize that, that little check mark. Will that actually dilute credibility? Yes, I think, uh, you know, 
especially when it comes to Twitter, because the way they used to provide that blue check in the past, that has been a good way to for journalists to get on Twitter. That it's been a good way for, uh, uh, I would say, public health agencies or fire departments across the U.S. Local, um, a lot of local organizations, uh, health organizations, hospitals, they're all on Twitter. And how does that help? If there is some big emergency in our area, there's a drinking water problem and your local um, water department is sending out some sort of tweets or sending message, that, that's thing you can trust. And so those are, in terms of crisis like wildfires or flooding, etc., those have been very invaluable. And that's the reason that Twitter has served as an official fact checker because we can immediately if somebody posts something we don't have to trust it unless it's coming from you know an authenticated journalist or news source or something like that and if we take that away and we just monetize uh, there's all kinds of dangerous things that can happen which is we saw that with uh, when they rolled out that blue check paid blue check uh, someone who claimed to be uh, Eli Lilly tweeted insulin is, is free and that caused the, the stock price to tank. Uh, and it's not just Eli Lilly, a few other pharmaceutical companies because anytime something like this happens, the public as well as shareholders would feel like you know, something is fundamentally wrong about these kinds of pricing models and that sort of that negative sentiment affects stock prices of not just companies like Eli Lilly, but their closest competitors. And we've seen that in the past with if there's any automobile, uh, you know, Volkswagen had an emission scandal. Their closest competitors also face a negative effect in terms of stock market reactions. So those are real dangers. Anyone can pretend to be someone else if you don't have a credentialing and verification service and we want to monetize it. But monetizing, monetization, or rather, it's not enough to monetize things. It's also enough. You need to have a, a mechanism by which people can trust certain accounts. And there's a trust, trust building or a verification and validation that the earlier blue check service was providing that we now don't have. Just to go off topic slightly, um... And we talked a little bit about TikTok uh, as another social media platform, um, but that one has also been in the news a lot lately. Um, a lot of uh, government agencies of late have been um, banning the use of TikTok on government devices out of concern uh, that the Chinese government might be able to use that information because uh, TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. How valid, in your opinion, are those concerns? Um what are your thoughts on TikTok and, and that issue right now? I think there are two definite issues with TikTok. One is that they've not been transparent about their own, you know, how are people authenticated? So there's TikTok has all these, there are people who claim to be uh, parenting experts and they're giving out some parenting advice. It may be very engaging, but is that really correct? So let's say something on infant sleeping. Is this backed by science and mm. what doctors would tell you? So those are definitely one set of concerns on TikTok. 
And the second, so we don't, they don't really have a way of providing credentialing or authentication of information. The second thing is that we should worry about is who owns our data. I mean, it's not just whether Chinese government owns data or some other entity owns the data. The question is that it is definitely by a corporation that is not subject to United States law. Um, and can they be subpoenaed if there is a concern about how our data is being used? If you recall, there were a lot of uh, hearings on Capitol Hill where social media companies were asked to come and testify before Senate and so forth. Can we do that with TikTok? So those are questions that we should take seriously. Is who owns our data, our data privacy, how our data is being monetized without our consent. Those should be concerns for all of us as individuals. Sure. And well, and that's come up too, regardless of TikTok and, and the concerns over the Chinese government. It yeah. comes out all the time. There's been issues with, you know, did Facebook sell data or did this company sell data to third party mm -hmm. providers? So it, it does get to the question as to whether, um, you know, our our sensitive data is being protected. Yeah. And also in, in what way is the data being used? Facebook actually had to settle a lawsuit with the Department of um, I think it was the Housing and Human Development or Housing and Urban Development, sorry, HUD. And uh, the thing was that Facebook ads, they allow selective targeting, but they, that was very discriminatory to minorities and that violates the Fair Housing Act. So there were similar concerns that Facebook was, the ads were discriminatory to women in science-related fields. So those, again, are things that our laws do not permit. And so we, uh, that's why, as I said, we all have the right to ask, how is our data being used? How sure. are these companies, you know, are they putting some kind of checks and balances? So the, the way the ads are targeted is not discriminating or violating any of our laws that we already have in place. So that's something we should be worried about. Before I let you go, just... Uh, want to get your thoughts. What what do you see as the future to social media in general? Um, you know, where are we going from here? Uh, wh whether it's Twitter or TikTok or something that that we just haven't even really experienced yet. What what is your general thoughts? It's hard to sort of play, uh, you know, it's, uh, an oracle. But one thing is, I think the data privacy issues are questions that we have to address at a societal level. And we are seeing some of these digital rights laws being put in place in Europe. Maybe it's a useful test case for us in the United States to see what's the experience. Can we learn something, both do's and don'ts? So I think all these algorithmic privacy related issues and um, where our data is being used, where algorithmic targeting, I think those will be important issues. And so social media platforms. It's a bit hard to imagine both Facebook or Twitter or whoever surviving in current form in like four or five years from now, because first, people are more concerned about their privacy probably. And second, some of that stuff is maybe not going to scale indefinitely. And so that's what I would say. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, to discuss this topic. It's a real fascinating one and uh, just appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Headlines. You can find us on every podcast platform, and we'd love it if you could take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. Finally, if you appreciate what we're doing with this program, we encourage you to invest in local journalism by supporting the newspaper in your community. I'm Terry Lipschetz. Thank you so much for listening to Behind the Headlines from Lee Enterprises.